talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Monday Buckeye Talk. Doug Lambrisa and Nathan Baird. We're here to look at the Ohio State Buckeyes from a national perspective. We're actually going to look then at a Big Ten thing. Well, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to talk about the Heisman race because C.J. Stroud is right in the middle of it and probably at the front of it, but it is certainly still up for grabs. And we're going to break down where things are 10 games into the season for everybody. I think it is a pretty interesting Heisman picture. We'll lead off with that. Then we'll talk about the mess that is the Big Ten West, which, of course, is very important because the winner of the Ohio State-Michigan game will play the winner of the Big Ten West in the Big Ten Championship game. So that matters to you. Then we'll do what you're watching what you're eating, what you're thinking. Nathan, to start off, Heisman odds right now. C.J. Stroud is the favorite at plus 150. So that's like one and a half to one. That's a pretty convincing favorite at this point of the year. Although it almost makes me want to go back and look, Nathan. I wonder I wonder what it was after Michigan State threw 11 games a year ago when we, we thought coming out of that game, C.J. Stroud was the highest favorite and then we know what happened against michigan so he is plus 150 hendon hooker the tennessee quarterback is plus 400 that's four to one blake corum the michigan running back five to one drake may the north carolina quarterback five to one caleb williams the usc quarterback 12 to one stetson bennett the fourth so you don't think it's his grandpa stetson bennett the second he's not in the heisman race stetson bennett, bennett the fourth he's 14 to one and then it's really a huge drop. Max Duggan, the TCU quarterback, TCU remains undefeated. He's 50 to 1. Bo Nix, the Oregon quarterback, who had been playing really well, but Oregon losing to Washington probably takes him out. He's 100 to 1. Bryce Young, the reigning champ from Alabama, 100 to 1. Jaden Daniels at LSU, 100 to 1. And then we're down, we're down to 200 to 1 after that. So, Nathan, there's, there's really, it's really a six person race by the odds. The quarterbacks for Ohio State, Tennessee, North Carolina, USC, and Georgia, and then the running back from Michigan. Hearing those odds, does it hit your ear right? Does that seem right to you, or is there, is there something that jumps out? No, I think that all makes sense to me. I So early in the season, and, and watch Hooker narrow that so so efficiently over the, over that span of just a few weeks. And then the, the Blake Corum one is, is also interesting. That if And I think that's where it all comes down to if, if Michigan wins that game again, he it's just he's in the Aiden Hutchinson seat. Um, maybe not to win it, but maybe to take some of Stroud to port in a head-to-head matchup there. Uh, because you get seen as potentially like the engine of that team or the reason why that team is accomplishing what it does, kind of the way Hutchinson was last year. So, um, But that to me, those three, there's some separation just because of what, uh, the teams can achieve, I suppose. Then the Caleb Williams thing gets interesting, just because that USC is really like the last dying playoff hope of the Pac-12. Yeah, but you, you didn't mention the guy that I think is the real problem for CJ, and I think that's Drake May from North Carolina. I think Drake May is in the is in the Lamar Jackson lane, and I think potentially maybe even more than Hendon Hooker. Now, I do think you make a good point. I think it's C.J. Stroud or Blake Corum. Let's be blunt. Does C.J. Stroud have to beat Michigan to win the Heisman? Oh, yeah. Like, that's not even... You're just like, I well, yeah, so. I mean, of course. Like, it, like, what is that? Because we'd be back to where we were a year ago, which is you're not on championship weekend. You didn't, when you're, you didn't beat your rival. 
they might be backdooring on a four well, seed in the playoff potentially, but but you think he'd kind of be out. Well, I mean, frankly, the statistical case isn't so much better for him than it is for Hooker and May. Like he hasn't really separated statistically in a lot of ways. There, at, no. at a point this year, I thought he I got was. the stats. The the statistical case is not great in, in certain things. the The cumulative statistical case is not there. The efficiency case, right? Is there, but the right. way they have played, and you throw in a game and forty mile per hour winds, which again, should you take it into account? Well, he couldn't throw because the ball was going all over the place against Northwestern. In some way, I think voters should take that into account if they're looking only at cumulative season long statistics. But Nathan, come on, they're Heisman voters. They, right. I mean, they're they're. They're like just walking around Walmart getting free samples. This is, I mean, they're Heisman voters. They're not going to be like, oh, you know what happened? Remember that week not The ninth game was windy. I just don't, I think they're going to cumulative him. That's the thing. If he gets down to cumulative court, and I have all the stats. I have, we're going to go through them. If he gets down to that, he doesn't win. Yeah, I think that's that's probably true. I mean, there was a point this year where I wrote a piece about it, that he was on pace to do a pretty rare thing, which was lead the nation in efficiency rating, yards per attempt. So not just not full passing yards, but yards per attempt and completion percentage. Or no, wait, it was it was maybe it was maybe it was rating yards per attempt and total touchdowns. I think it was total touchdowns. Um, I think it was the third one. But it, it, it like there had been a smattering of quarterbacks who had done that like ever. And if he had been able to do that, if he'd been able to make that statistical case, I think it would have been a big help for him. Someone who probably isn't necessarily going to have a Heisman moment the way the hookers already had that sort of thing. Um, But when it's just like when you're just one of many people who have essentially the same stats, I don't know if he has that that X factor that pushes him across the line. But even that case that you were making, you're making a quarterback rating yards per attempt case. And people are looking at passing yards. In total touchdowns, yeah. You know what I mean? But, like, that's even that is a little bit of an inside. Again, you have to – it's remedial football analysis for Heisman voters. So it's just the way they're playing, which we've covered a million times. that They, they don't want to be in as much of a chuck-it-all-over-the-field kind of offense, and Jackson, Bith, and Jigba hasn't played, and they played in a windy game, and we, we know all of this. But it, it really is – his case is captain of the ship, but the ship's got to kind of get to where it needs to go. The ship can't hit a Wolverine iceberg if your case is captain of the ship. And I do think it's – it's pretty close to a Troy. It's much closer. We thought maybe he'd make a Joe Burrow case this year. And actually, it's much closer to a Troy Smith case. Now, he still is tied for the lead nationally in, in passing touchdowns, which is pretty good. He has 34 against four interceptions. And Drake May from North Carolina has 34 against three interceptions. So that's still very, very good. And in 67 fewer attempts. No, I go. And, and I admire you, but like, again, all of that does matter, that. but raw. Well, but we have to I say, like, we're not we're not making the smart person case. We're making the Heisman case. Right. So, like, this is the right. thing. It's like, all the things that you're saying, they do matter. And I have some even weirder stuff to get into. But the raw numbers, let's, let's, talk, let's talk raw numbers. So, um, 
Actually, let's talk weird numbers first. So let's, let's, let's talk something else first. You got to be on the stage. There are, this is probably what championship weekend is going to be. Clemson versus North Carolina for the ACC is clinched. That's locked up. That's going to be the ACC championship game. The SEC championship game is going to be Georgia versus LSU. The Big Ten championship game is going to be the Michigan-Ohio State winner versus Iowa, Purdue, or Minnesota, probably. And an outside case for Illinois, but probably not. We'll get into that later. The Big 12 is almost certainly is, – is, TCU is actually locked up a spot. It's going to be Big 12 with Max Duggan, probably against Kansas State. Not for sure, but Kansas State's in the driver's seat for that other spot. And then the Pac-12 is going to be the winner of the Utah-Oregon game this week, almost certainly, and then probably USC. So the people that that then creates a Heisman case for, Clemson versus North Carolina. Clemson doesn't have a candidate. North Carolina has Drake May. And if you don't know who Drake May is, you better learn quick because he might win the Heisman. The Georgia-LSU game, I Stetson Bennett, again, he was 14-1. to 1. I guess he's the Georgia candidate, and then Jaden Daniels is the LSU quarterback. He's like 100-1, to 1, but the LSU quarterback is not going to win the Heisman. So that the SEC championship game has like an iffy candidate, which is crazy, Nathan, considering what the SEC is. But again, we're talking about who's going to be on the stage on conference championship weekend. It'll either be C.J. Stroud or Blake Corum in that game. And then I guess if Illinois backdoored at this point, maybe Chase Brown, the Illinois running back, could get to New York somehow. But it's not going to be Illinois. TCU, Max Duggan is probably a candidate. They're undefeated. He's the quarterback. He runs it and throws it. And then Oregon, if Oregon beats Utah, Bo Nix, the guy we mentioned, he would be in there. And then Caleb Williams from USC would be in there, which leaves – Hendon Hooker, not not there. Like, he's not playing on championship game weekend. And I, 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 I say it every time I talk about the Heisman, Nathan. I think it is so important. This is where it gets, where it gets super interesting is if potentially C.J. Stroud and Hendon Hooker are the two favorites and neither of them are playing championship game weekend, then it is wide open. That's for Blake Corum, who would be there instead of C.J. Stroud. That's for anybody else to go nuts in their conference championship game from Caleb Williams to Stetson Bennett to Max Duggan to Drake May, right? Because Hooker and Stroud would not be there. Now, it's one of these things that's like, let's keep diving in very specifically about how C.J. Stroud could or couldn't win the Heisman if they lose to Michigan. That is not an enthralling conversation for any Ohio State fan at this point. (laughs) Because the one thing is, it's interesting, like, it's not – I don't know if – it's not going to be much of a consolation prize. Like, well, I don't know if Ohio State fans would view it. Like, oh, well, yeah, they lost to Michigan. They didn't They didn't make the playoff. But at least, like, C.J. Stroud backdoored the Heisman. That was cool. Here's one thing from the 937. It's a rant I've been saving. It's Howard and Charlotte. I don't think it's a rant. Maybe it's a suggestion for a poll or something. I know you love those, Doug. I'm curious how many other fans are actively rooting for C.J.'s Heisman chances. I didn't actually do the poll. Sorry, Howard. When I watch other teams play, I'm not only watching with hopes that the outcome will help Ohio State, but I'm also rooting hard for the same with CJ and his Heisman chances. Like when you watch Hendon Hooker or Bryce Young or a few weeks ago with Caleb Williams when USC lost to Utah. When we win a game like we did against Northwestern, I'm not all that upset that it looked the way it did under the conditions. It just makes sense to me, but I'm as upset that CJ's stat line didn't look good. Am I alone in that? So that idea, Nathan 
it is very interesting. Again, the standard is so high. There are places where I think a team, like if, if Hendon Hooker wins the Heisman, but Tennessee doesn't win the national championship or doesn't make the playoff, I think Tennessee fans will be like, what? 11-win regular season and Hendon Hooker won the Heisman? And we finished fifth in the polls? That's awesome. I My bet would be Ohio State fans would be like, yeah, it's cool. We love CJ. Congratulations. But, man, it feels a little hollow. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it would be a very weird vibe because, listen, there are some legacy conversations that will need to happen over the next week about this Michigan game as it relates to both Ryan Day and C.J. Stroud. If if they were to lose this game, very real possibility, Michigan's a very good football team, then Ryan Day will have a losing record against Michigan and C.J. Stroud will have never beaten them. And I think that would be a very weird thing for Ohio State fans to watch their quarterback – who was 0-2 against Michigan, go accept the Heisman Trophy. And I don't even know what that week in New York would be like. Uh, having been there last year um, under those circumstances and to to uh, how, how that would even get spun. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, he's had a great career and – would would you know potentially be as deserving as any of those people we've mentioned? It's not like he would be. It would be a travesty for him to win the award. But I think you know what I'm saying that it, it's it would just be a very strange vibe, and it's why I one of the reasons why I think it, it just wouldn't fit right, and it's one of the reasons why I think they have to win that game in order for him to have any chance. So, Heisman winners for Ohio State: Les Horvath, 1944. Beat Michigan. Vic Janowitz, 1950, lost to Michigan. Hop Cassidy, 1955, beat Michigan. Archie Griffin, 1974, 1975, beat Michigan. Eddie George, lost to Michigan. Lost to Tim Biakabatuka going crazy. Had his second lowest rushing total of the season, I think 104 yards in that game. Troy Smith, of course, sealed it by beating Michigan. So that's two times that the Ohio State Heisman winner did not beat Michigan. I I just don't think it would happen because I think if the door is cracked, either Corum would go through it by playing on championship weekend or Hooker would go through it because now he and CJ are equal and that neither of them are playing for a conference championship. So let's dispense. And you know what? I, let's just – no, it's, a, it's an Ohio State podcast. We're realistic about things, but we don't want to rub people's faces in it. Could Blake Corum win the Heisman if Michigan beats Ohio State? I think it's possible. I don't think we need a 10-minute discussion about it because that's not what people here want to hear. If Ohio, so let's, let's operate under the assumption that Ohio State has beaten Because like, Can you imagine if we asked a question this week? Uh, Ryan, how much do you think it would hurt CJ's Heisman chances if you guys lose to Michigan? Like It's, just be, it's so beside the point. If we asked CJ that question, he would walk out of the room. It's like, what are you talking about? If it is so, I mean, it's so not the thing. So like that, that whole discussion, it's like assuming, but from a realistic standpoint, he probably really has to do it because I think it would look a lot like last year looked. So CJ beats Michigan. Now he's on the stage. And I do think he would be on the stage potentially with like six other guys. He would be on the stage. Drake may would be on that championship game stage for North Carolina. Stetson Bennett at Georgia, maybe Bo Nix, Caleb Williams, Max Duggan. Okay. So I will tell you the thing that I did is I broke down, I broke down nine quarterbacks 
Maybe I even went to 10. Did I go to 10? One, two, three. No. I had like two different sheets. I don't know if I included Michael Penix or not. I think maybe I did include Michael Penix. Did I? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I did nine and I did include Michael Penix from Washington who's chucking the ball all over the place. These are the nine quarterbacks that I did. C.J. Stroud, Drake Nate from North Carolina, Stetson Bennett from Georgia, Bryce Young from Alabama, Bo Nix from Oregon, Michael Penix from Washington, Caleb Williams from USC, Max Duggan from TCU, and Hendon Hooker from Tennessee. Okay? One of the things I did, Nathan, and I, was, I did some PFF stuff. I know we always take it with a grain of salt. They have a stack called Big Time Throws, which is like down the field, tough, in a window. I mean, Big Time Throw is actually a, a pretty good name for it. It's like you, you know what that means in your head. Okay? They also have a, a, a stack called Turnover Worthy Throws, which is not just was it picked. It's like could it have been picked? Should it have been picked? So I looked for those nine quarterbacks. I looked at how many big-time throws they have and how many turnover-worthy throws they have. And then I made a ratio. It's your big-time throws compared to your turnover-worthy throws. And again, if there are Heisman voters listening to this, they've turned it off because this is too complex for them. And this is too in-depth and too too much actual football for them. Of the nine quarterbacks, Nathan, that I did, C.J. Stroud is last in his big-time throw to turnover-worthy throw ratio. Because as you have kind of pointed out at times, he's gotten away with a couple this year where he's kind of made a throw, and it's like, that could have been picked. And he, what do you say, has four picks this year? They have him with 14 turnover-worthy throws, which is the most of any of these nine quarterbacks. They have him with 21 big-time throws, which is second-best among the quarterbacks. But Drake May from North Carolina has 32. Now, he does throw it more, but he has 32 to 21 is kind of a gap. Drake May, 32 to 8. He leads it. So his ratio is 4 to 1, right? C.J. Stroud's ratio is 1.5 to 1. And that'll have to go through everybody. Michael Penix is second in that ratio. Hendon Hooker is third in that ratio. Caleb Williams is fourth. Um, Bryce Young is fifth. But the whole point is, Nathan, that surprised me. And that's more in-depth than I think most people would go. But I think it, it, it tells us a little bit about spectacular versus mistakes. And there is some – it's not as specific an equation as this, but there's a kind of general vibe that I think big-time throws to turnover-worthy throws represents – and maybe that that vibe might come through the TV a little bit. What do you think of that? I think it maybe does a little bit. I, I don't even know if it's necessarily that, though. If it's just it's a lot of things that we've talked about from the beginning with CJ as it relates to this specific endeavor, the Heisman concept, that there just isn't. There's a there's a certain like flashiness. There's a certain um, the the viral quality of any given play. That's not really what his game is. And but but I'm going to interrupt you here because we, we we know that. But the thing that surprises me is how many turnover worthy throws he has. Like th- this conversation that 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 the, like the lack of spectacular. But I thought I thought it's like okay. Well, Drake May has 32 and CJ has 21 big time throws, but CJ only has three. 
turnover-worthy throws. Then he has 14. That's the part of that equation that surprised me. We know we've covered the brain as the best body part thing a ton. That surprised me, and I wonder if it matters because, again, you at times, I think, have correctly pointed out, not as a criticism, but even in the midst of a, wow, CJ played really well. Well, he kind of had that one that actually got away from him and could have been picked, or there was a miscommunication, or, oh, I got a little bit lucky on that, or, oh, we kind of forced that or whatever, that has popped up more than I would have expected. Do we know such a semantic question? When they say turnover-worthy throws, does it include – that only includes balls that were actually thrown. It wouldn't include, for instance, when he's gotten sacked and fumbled it because that's happened a handful of times too. So if someone were watching Ohio State and okay. and saw that looseness. Yeah, so let me uh, let me look here real quick because I, I may be slightly mischaracterizing what I'm calling it, and, and it is a good point by you. So the throw is called big-time throws. It's throws. It's actually not turnover-worthy throws. It's turnover-worthy plays. And to your point, a turnover-worthy play, by the definition of PFF, a pass that has a high percentage chance to be intercepted or a poor job of taking care of the ball and fumbling. So, like, for instance, he gets hit on the loose rusher against Iowa, fumbles, picked up right score that's probably one of his turnover worthy plays right had another fumble uh that he lost at the end of the first half um of a, of a different game i'm forgetting oh yeah one. right that ryan that ryan day took responsibility for that they were trying to get juice right there at the end and the unblocked guy off the edge came Is and that got him State? yeah that the next week um and again it's not like it's an epidemic but it's there's been enough of them uh, if you're watching Ohio State a lot, maybe it, that would that would show up for you. I just when it comes to the Heisman, I I do wonder sometimes like how many of the voters are watching all of these games. Like like it's oh, why you talk no, about no, they're not, they're, they're, exactly. They're it's not. why you talk about it's why you talk about the raw numbers and how important those are. But that we thought that C.J. Stroud's season would be a little bit more consequential right now from a raw numbers standpoint and. The, the the I'm sorry the Northwestern game hurt, but even if you t- put another 200 yards on his season, I got two sets. more touchdown I passes. Got sets. Like it wouldn't yeah. be no significantly different. Which is why, to your point of like people don't watch all the games, it's why conference championship game weekend tra- conference championship weekend matters so much. It's not just that it's the most important game because you're playing for a conference championship. It's that there are only five games. And everybody watches all of them. So it's like it's a magnitude, exponential, how much more it matters. And it's going to be interesting. Like, it may matter a great deal to C.J. Stroud's Heisman exclamation point he's trying to put. We may want to talk about this more in a second segment and save it for that. Who wins the Big Ten West? Who wins the Big Ten West? It's the whole second segment. It's the whole second segment. So – is he it is, Iowa or is it Purdue? It's, it's very why different. are you doing it? That's the second segment. You're just teasing people? Okay. Like, oh, no, you can tease. So he's ninth in that ratio thing. He's ninth, which is, again, it's not the ratio that matters, but it maybe has crept in a little bit more. It might be in the back of people's heads. Oh, you know, I, he seems like he every now and then puts the ball for grabs or puts the ball on the ground. All right. Passing yards per game, 275 of the nine quarterbacks that, that I ranked, he's seventh. Bryce Young is eighth and Max Duggan is ninth. 
So he has 275 per game. Drake May is throwing for 341 per game. And Michael Penix is throwing for 364. Now, Washington beat Oregon, and that was a good win. They only have two Pac-12 losses. They're at the edge of that mix. If a million things go their way, Washington could backdoor into the Pac-12 championship. I don't think Michael Penix is actually a Heisman candidate. But I will tell you, I have a thing in my head, because Tishu and I talk about on the on the gambling podcast. To me, Michael Penix is a guy who put balls up for grabs, because I've bet my fake bets oh, on yeah. Washington at times this year. Turnover-worthy plays this year by PFF. Michael Penix has five, and CJ Stroud has fourteen. And if you had said to me, Michael Penix and CJ Stroud, one guy has five turnover-worthy plays and one guy has fourteen, I would be like, no doubt about it. Michael Pen- Michael Penix has fourteen. I'm not saying it's the be-all end-all. That's their stats. They track it. They label it. They define it. And he has five. And to me, Michael Penix is like, we'll make a play right at a crucial time to kill you. And he actually did it against Oregon. He threw a goal, like threw a terrible pick, and then they still overcame it and won. So I'm just saying. All right. So so now we're getting to the, the stuff that people understand. Cumulative stats, passing yards per game, the nine quarterbacks that you would even consider, he's seventh. Yards from scrimmage. We're bringing rushing yards into it. Okay? We're bringing rushing yards into it. Drake May throws for 341 yards per game. He runs for 58 yards per game. He is averaging 399 yards from scrimmage per game. He is first in this group. Michael Penix at 369 is second. He doesn't run at all. He's the only quarterback who runs less than CJ in this group of nine, but he throws for 364, so he's second. Caleb Williams is third. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. He's tied for third with Bo Nix. Fifth is who did I miss here? Fifth is I uh, screw. Oh, fifth is Hendon Hooker. He's three hundred and ten per game. Sixth is Stetson Bennett. He's three hundred and four per game. He runs for fourteen per game. Seventh is Bryce Young, two eighty seven per game. C.J. Stroud is eighth. Max Duggan is ninth at two seventy seven. So yards from scrimmage, he's twenty seven yards per game behind. Hendon Hooker, he is 116 yards per game from scrimmage per game behind Drake May. Quarterback rating, like which is an efficiency rating, different people have different ratings. I'm looking at the one at cfbstats.com. CJ's first. CJ's for, and all these guys I'm talking about are the highest in the country. CJ's first and this group. Hooker is second in this group. May is third in this group, and they're like all in the top five. Knicks is fourth. Duggan is fifth. They're all very highly rated from an efficiency standpoint. And as we said, Stroud and Duggan are tied for the national lead in touchdowns. And yards per attempt, May is slightly ahead of him, I think. Um, He did pass him, I think. Let me look. Yards per attempt. I think it was May is... No, CJ is still ahead, actually. Hendon Hooker is first at 10.1 yards per attempt. CJ is second at 9.9. May is fourth at 9.5. So probably Hooker, Stroud, and May are all close enough there that it's not a huge thing. But Nathan, this is why I think I think the number one threat to C.J. Stroud, victorious against Michigan C.J. Stroud, is Drake May. Because he is on the Lamar path. He's on the picket path. Plus, he is getting, he's only a second-year guy. He is getting buzzed as like a future first-round NFL pick. I do think Heisman voters, for good or for bad, 
let NFL draft stock leak into their thinking. This guy is getting talked up a ton. North Carolina only has one loss. They lost to Notre Dame. He is like throwing for 350 and running for another 50 every game. And they are not going to be a national championship contender, but he is going to play on conference championship weekend against a Clemson defense that at least has a good reputation. And I think it's possible, Nathan, that even if C.J. Stroud has a very good winning game in the Big Ten championship game for Ohio State to get to 13-0, and I think 13-0 and C.J. Stroud beats Hendon Hooker. I think in, I think in every circumstance, because Hooker's not going to be playing. I think 13-0 C.J. Stroud beats Stetson Bennett. I think 13-0 C.J. Stroud has vanquished Blake Corum. I think 13-0 C.J. Stroud beats Caleb Williams. I think the only guy who can beat 13-0 C.J. Stroud is out of his mind Drake May, who throws for 471 yards and six touchdowns against Clemson. And from a cumulative stat standpoint, you look down, and he's throwing for 100 more yards per game than C.J. So I think CJ is in very good shape if Ohio State does what they want to do and gets where they want to go. But I think May makes it less than 100% assured that 13-0 CJ Stroud wins the Heisman. That's officially where I am on best-case scenario for CJ. Now, give me CJ in the Big Ten Championship game throwing for 386 and six scores, and Drake May can throw for 14 touchdowns, and it doesn't matter. CJ looking not just like the captain of the ship, but like, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio on the front of the boat, like the like the leading man, like beyond just like the ship is good. I guess that was a bad, the ship there, not so good. Like the ship is good. If the ship's good, his chances are really good. If he's a star and the ship is good, he's locked it down. But I think there's a crack for Drake May in that scenario. Okay. That's where I am officially. Where are you officially as CJ as a Heisman candidate? The Drake May thing to me, how much do you think it will matter, if at all, the, the idea of like playoff contention at this point? That yes, oh, they'll be playing on championship weekend because I don't think there's any path to, for North Carolina to make it as a one loss. No, the, the ACC is out for they're, they're not, out. They're not, they, no. Again, they're they have, they're like the, the quietest. Right yeah, they're like the quietest nine and one team in the country. They lost to Notre Dame and they've beaten nobody until they beat Wake Forest. That's like their best win. But Wake Forest is kind of plummeting, and they won. They beaten Duke. They beaten Duke on the road. Like they're they're not that good. And, and or even if if they are, they haven't shown it. Their, their schedule doesn't show it. Like they they have a very weak schedule. And I don't know if that's something that would like even subconsciously get factored into this that people see that yes they're all playing on championship weekend but cj stroud is playing to get his team to another level of championship whereas drake may is playing for that championship that acc championship and then whatever bowl game it, it the the kenny pickett thing is a very interesting because you remember last year at this time i was kind of like eh, kenny pickett like why i don't think i was dismayed that Pickett finished ahead of Stroud. I did not think there was a case for Pickett to finish ahead of Stroud last year. Um, that was maybe the one place where the voting I thought was wrong on the Heisman. And I, it would be disheartening to see. Oh, maybe I shouldn't say disheartening because because I've always also been someone who takes a very um, I look down on the Heisman also, and uh, it would be just kind of I guess maybe in keeping with that tradition that someone like Drake May could put up the numbers he does against 
a very paper thin schedule and get rewarded for it. Whereas uh, Stroud um, would almost be penalized, even though their schedule hasn't exactly been that tough, but it's, but, but compared to what North Carolina has played, it's it, there's, there's no comparison. North Carolina's defense by EPA per game is ranked 118th in the country. And their off their offense is ranked eighth. Ohio State's offense is ranked third. Ohio State's defense is also ranked third. I'm just saying you could say, well, it's not his fault. His defense stinks, which is like I think there's a decent amount of truth to that, right? Now everything you said about the schedule is true, but also right. like Ohio State's schedule, we've been talking about Ohio State's schedule. It's not Ohio State's fault that Michigan State and Wisconsin and Notre well, Dame aren't as good as people thought. But the one thing is, C.J. Stroud beat Notre Dame and Drake May did not. So his, there's a head-to-head that defense, might come into it. But his defense stinking is is has helped. Mace. But you're talking about from a you're talking about from a national. You just said the contention that they're not a, a national playoff contender, right? They're not they're not a contender for they're the not playoff, a national, and that matters, right? Because of their schedule. Well, the reason not they're not a the contender is well, if they were undefeated, they'd be they'd be a, if they if they were the undefeated ACC champ, they'd I mean, be in. They're nine and one with one loss to Notre Dame. If there were other games on that schedule that they had been able to win, they would be, I think, in a better position. They would be farther up in the rankings to where if they won two more games and then beat Clemson in the ACC championship game, there was a path for them to sneak in at four. I don't think that exists for them right now. That's completely off the table. And I think the defense. No, they're is not getting in. Helping. We said that they are not getting right. in. That's what I'm saying. But I'm saying the defense. The defense is helping him put up all these numbers you're talking about. Drake May against. Uh... Notre Dame threw for 301 yards and five touchdowns, and they lost 45 to 32. So his defense didn't help him there. He, his team has a bad defense. I know what you're saying. It's a little bit of the, like the Dwayne Haskins case. Like Dwayne put up gigantic numbers and finished third and 18 because Ohio State's defense was so bad. You kept having to throw. You kept having to stay on the field. You kept having to stay in games. I'm just saying that I think people, I'm not like trying to make. I'm not saying I would vote for Drake May instead of C.J. Stroud because North Carolina's defense is bad. I'm saying that people could look and say, well, they have one loss in the loss. So, okay, C.J. Stroud and Drake May both played Notre Dame. Ohio State won, Notre Dame lost. North Carolina scored more points than Ohio State did, and Drake May threw for more yards and more touchdowns than C.J. Stroud did. So why did Ohio State beat Notre Dame and North Carolina didn't? Was it the quarterback or was it that Drake May's team is not as good? So I'm I'm saying that I I think people I do think sometimes if part of your team is terrible but you are awesome at what you do it can backdoor support for you whereas I fair or not I almost don't think sometimes in the right scenario people will almost ding you for being part of a good team and it's like well there's lots of good players on that team I'm Marvin Harrison Jr. you know I don't think that's right I don't think that's fair you know but I do think again he's going to lose the stat case to Drake May. That's that's sealed. He's going to lose the stat case. His team is better. His team has a chance to win a national championship, and Drake Mays does not. So what carries the day if both are good? If both are on the final stage at the same time, what carries the day? My guess is C.J. Stroud carries the day, right? That's that, that people do like winners. We've, we've seen that. I mean, I, I think that's always... The case that's like, what's the best case? I think the best case for any Heisman candidate is to be the quarterback of the undefeated number one team. Like, that's the best case. And so, Georgia's gonna be number one, but their quarterback is like, they're just a weird, goofy team that can't produce a Heisman candidate because 
their defense is so good and they don't have a guy who stands out there. And then I guess is it Stetson Bennett? So the absence of a real candidate from Georgia, then it's CJ Stroud. He's the, uh, he's the quarterback of the undefeated number two team. That's the best case you can make. But this other guy has 400 yards from scrimmage per game. And if he looks like the next Patrick Mahomes, I don't know if people will have a wandering eye if, if there's any chance left open. If CJ is 17 of 24 for 211 yards and two touchdowns in the Big Ten Championship game, I just think the door might be cracked. But I think he's probably going to win. I think if they're 13 and 0, if they're 13 and 0, let's put a percent on this and we can end this conversation. We're talking circles at this point. If Ohio State's 13 and 0, and you don't really know anything else, but they're 13 and 0, what percent chance do you think CJ Stroud has to win the Heisman? Uh, above above 50. I, I yeah. Because I think also when we look at this Michigan game, I don't think and we, I feel like we're we're reaching back to Saturday night again now. I don't think Ohio State goes in there and just tries to three yards in a cloud of dust it against Michigan. I think that it could that game could come through the vessel of C.J. Stroud. That win could come through C.J. Stroud and the way he picks apart a defense. And that won't be championship weekend, but it's the most watched game of the year, other than postseason nope. stuff. I'm, yeah. So, yeah, so that's in its own way. If you get on that stage, I mean, it happened last year. He was he was leading – he was going to win the award potentially, or he was right there, and then Aiden Hutchinson on that stage takes it away from him. I think C.J. Stroud can go in and secure his status in that game in the same way. Because I do think in the scenario we're creating, which is 13-0 Ohio State, how do they beat Michigan if C.J.'s not good? Like you almost are assuming like what is the world in which Ohio state beats Michigan, but CJ does not look like a very good Heisman worthy quarterback. Like it almost, you can't wrap your head. You think they're going to win like 12 to six. No, you think, you think they're going to win by CJ Stroud leading them to victory. So I think I would say it's more, I would say I would put it between 85 and 90% of 13 and 0 CJ Stroud winning the Heisman, but I'm not at a hundred because of, because of Drake Mays raw stats. And because of of the NFL draft prospect part of it. If they just are on the same weekend and people watch it and think, oh, I think Drake May is better. I'm not saying he is. They're both probably top five picks. I think they'll both succeed as NFL quarterbacks. But if he goes bonkers statistically and people say, I just think Drake May is better, I, I think 13-0 CJ overcomes that. But anyway, I just I was a little surprised by some of the statistical stuff. Um, it is just not a not a raw case. It's a winner case and it's a little new, it's a bit of a nuanced case because again, as the thing that you were, you know, before I cut you off, cause we have said it before the thing, the things that he does best are not as apparent to the naked eye, I think. And I do think that remains a little bit of something for him to deal with. But I also think too, national people are going to get it out there in the way they talk about this team that, you know, he had this year, and he barely had Jackson Smith and Jigba, and both of his starting running backs keep getting hurt, and they've had to get by without them. And I think there's going to be I think the narrative, the the context of some of what this season was is going to get out there to to at least some of these voters. All right. When we come back, we will talk about the Big Ten West. 
race. I don't know if it's a race. What do you? What would it be? Um, like a mud fight? Like a? Have you ever mud wrestled? The Big Ten West mud wrestle? I know there was a thing like Iowa players throw hay bales over like a crossbar. I watched that this summer. Is that what this is? It's not. Did you? Did you have um like at like your county fairs and stuff growing up? Did you have demolition derbies? Yeah, it's kind of a demolition yeah, yeah. derby. It's not really a yeah. race. It's sort of a no. war of attrition. Yeah. Whose car <laughs> is still running at the end? Yeah. And Brett Bielema, his car was looking pretty good. Then he just drove straight into the wall. Okay, we'll be back after this on Buckeye Talk. All right, back on Buckeye Talk. Nathan, is there anything to talk about with your ballot? Who's still voting Ohio State number one? It's not. Is it you? It's not you, is it? They have one first place vote in the I... AP? Yeah, last week I think it was somebody uh, for like the Quad City Times or something that was voting them number one. Um, they really cast a, a wide net on uh, who gets to vote in this thing. <laughs> you don't necessarily have to, you know, cover a team. Yeah, look at you just going in. Look at you. Was this like a Beanfield thing against the Quad Cities? Because the Quad Cities, it's two cities in Iowa and two in Illinois on the opposite sides of the river. Are you like, do you look down your nose at the Iowa side of the river? I really have nothing against the Quad Cities. I used to, uh, I had a, um, a family friend that used to live in Moline. We used to go visit her, and it was a lot of fun. So I'm not going to talk about the, the Quad Cities, but it's Steve Batterson of the Quad City Times. You just Davenport, said, Iowa. You said you have nothing against the Quad Cities, but when I said, who's voting Ohio State number one, you were like, some guy from the Quad Cities. They'll let anybody vote. It's like, well, no, that kind of was against the Quad Cities. It's well, four cities in one. I don't know. I suppose, I guess it makes sense. I mean, he's kind of in between several colleges there, even though none are actually there. I don't. I just. I don't know how sometimes certain people end up with their votes. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think sometimes they they have to scrape the, they they scrape it a little bit. I do think some people don't want to. Some places their employers won't let them. So uh, anyway, all right. So Ohio State has one yeah. vote in the AP. The AP doesn't matter. They're, they're going to be number two in the college football playoff rankings again. What does matter is who they're going to play in the Big Ten championship game, and it's probably going to be Iowa. How about that? If Iowa wins out, it's Iowa. Like, there's all these things now, but, like, if Iowa beats Minnesota this week and then beats Nebraska, it's Iowa. And if Iowa doesn't win out, then if Purdue wins out, then it's Purdue if Iowa loses. So if Iowa wins its next two games, it's Iowa. If Iowa loses one of those two games, but Purdue wins its two games, it's Purdue. If Minnesota beats Iowa this week, and then Purdue also loses one of its final two games, it's Minnesota. So those really are the three options. This Iowa-Minnesota game this week is huge. Because if Iowa wins, all they have to do is beat Lousy Nebraska, and they're in. If Minnesota wins, Minnesota's like, oh, my gosh, we're practically there. Now we're rooting for a Purdue loss. It's Iowa, Purdue, or Minnesota. Uh, what would be the best outcome for the Big Ten, Nathan? What would be the most exciting game for one of those teams to face either Michigan or Ohio State? Uh, not Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> because I believe they've already oh. lost. Did they lose to Michigan also? Did they play Michigan also? No. They did not play Michigan. Well, we know what it, Ohio State did against them already. So yeah. there's no juice for a rematch where the first game was 54 to 10. Um, and there's not going to be any rematch. It'd be a rematch of last year's championship game where Michigan beat them 40 to 6 or whatever. Yeah. So it, not Iowa. Iowa winning the Big Ten West is bad for the Big Ten, and I don't, 
don't care who hears it. it. Whatever member of the Ferentz family, it's bad for the Big Ten. Like, they can't play at that level. They've proven that they cannot play at that level, and the Big Ten is going to be seen in lower esteem if Iowa is the team that goes to Indianapolis to get shellacked by either one of these teams that's going to be playing in Ohio Stadium in a couple of weeks. I think it's good for the Big Ten if there's some new blood, maybe. Yeah. So either Minnesota or Purdue getting in there, I think, would be good for the Big Ten. Um, it would be especially good because the the gate is about to be sealed and locked for teams like that to get into the Big Ten championship game very often, if ever. Like, when they go to no divisions, it's going to be the cream of the cream of the cream of the crop. And these years where you have a bunch of three lost teams from the West – Figuring out who's going to suck less and end up in Indianapolis is going to be a thing of the past. Or or not not just Indianapolis, Los Angeles, wherever they play that game. It, it's not going to be – yeah, Vegas. It's not going to be Iowa backdooring its way into those things. Um, so I think Purdue or Minnesota going would be interesting. Um, and then I suppose – I mean, the outlier is if Illinois were to beat Michigan and, and win out and somehow make it in. That would, I guess, also count as the new blood. I, that's just obviously the least likely outcome. I mean, if, at this point. if Illinois beats Michigan, we're going to be talking a lot about Illinois beating Michigan. So, like, Illinois beating right. Michigan is a big deal beyond just like who the Big Ten West positioning. Right. Um, Iowa is a two and a half point underdog at Minnesota at the moment. So, Minnesota favored to win that game. The Pac 12. As soon as, like, all this new stuff started shaking out, the Pac-12, like, right away before the season started, was like, we're done with divisions. And that's why we are in the situation that we are with they have this wide-open race with a bunch of one-loss teams. There's no divisions. They kept, like, the the schedule that had been based on divisions, had been based on a north-south and crossover games. They kept the schedule, and then they were just like, the heck with divisions, the two best teams get in. Nathan, if the Big Ten had done the same and listen, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten are in lockstep on a lot of things. It would not be ridiculous if like, the Pac-12 had done it and the Big Ten had been like, you know what, let's do that. If they had done that, an Ohio State-Michigan Big Ten championship game would already be locked down. Because everybody in the West has three losses. The only other team that has fewer losses than that is Penn State. And Penn State's two losses are to Ohio State and Michigan. So even if Ohio State-Michigan, like if anybody lost their last two games, they'd still have the tiebreaker over Penn State. What would we think of that? Like, right, think about that right now, because again, that's the world that we're going to be getting to in 2024. Now, USC will have something to say about that. And if USC and UCLA were in the Big Ten right now, they would have something to say about who the two best teams are. But the, that, that was never going to happen. The thing that actually could have happened was that for the 2022 season, the Big Ten punted divisions, and we'd be sitting here right now knowing that we were playing that game twice in a row. Would that be better than this demolition derby in the West? Or would that make this super duper weird that we were entering the 11th game of the season knowing that we were then preparing for an Ohio State-Michigan doubleheader? I think it would be weird. I don't know if that necessarily means it wouldn't still be better, though. Um, and I think it, wouldn't the same thing have been true last year? Because Ohio State and Michigan, Michigan had one loss. Michigan State had two losses at that point, right? Because they had also lost to Purdue. So whoever right. won, it would have 
forced a rematch, I think, because I think Iowa had at least two losses. So it would have been Michigan and Ohio State. I guess maybe if Ohio State had beaten Michigan, there would have been a two-loss thing because Michigan State had beaten Michigan. Anyway. anyway. Maybe it was. Anyway. But we definitely know it would be the case this year. And I I just – I I don't understand how you would vote for, well, it's better if a three-loss sacrificial lamb is limping into Indianapolis as opposed to – the, the second best team in the in the in the in the in the conference, which happens to be one of the like five best undisputably teams in the country. And I know it's going to be weird for people to have the absoluteness of the game be compromised in the future. But I don't that's then 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 maybe move the game off the last week of the year. Like that's your only <laughs> option because do you want to get four thousand next? Yeah, okay. I'm not saying yeah. I'm saying I'm not advocating for that, but I'm saying that that's really your only option if you're that skeeved out by those games being back to back. And I don't think it's the back to back thing. I think it's playing that game a second time under any circumstances. Oh no, I think it's back to back. Well, I think no, the back to back makes no. it worse. But I, I don't think, think the they want to play. Makes it significantly weirder because, like, the Big Twelve right now. I mean, has been living in a world where. It's a 10-team conference, and you play all the other nine, and it's a guaranteed rematch in the championship game, and it's it's not the same. I think you can wrap your head around it. I think the And I think the double down of it is that this far out, it's not that even, well, depending on the result, there could be a rematch. It's two weeks ahead of the first game. You already know a rematch is guaranteed. I, I just – because to me, now that almost is like – is the presence of the second game somehow affecting the first game? That is where I think, not that you play one and then, oh my gosh, it turns out we're playing a second one. That that it almost, like, you know what I mean? Like, you but you don't want to change the news yeah. by becoming the news. Like, you don't want to... You don't want to change the first game by guaranteeing the second game, except you would be doing that this year. And again, I, I think the main thing is like, well, stuff changes and this is the new reality. But I do think the back-to-back nature of it and knowing it this far ahead, I to me, that takes a little bit of, of time to come to grips with that because it is – it, no, is, it is. Yeah. We've already started talking. I mean, a lot of what we're going to write about this week on our site is not Maryland. It's already going to be Michigan stuff. And we would probably be approaching this in a different way if they were guaranteed of a rematch. The stakes of the game would be different. But it's also we're very we're coming very rapidly on the stakes of the game being pretty different anyway, just with the expansion of the twelve teams. Yeah. So that all of that is going to change a little bit. And I I definitely understand people who uh mourn that. I think there is probably something lost there. Sometimes you lose things to gain more for the greater good, I suppose. Yeah. It really is gonna be the the, the idea of Ohio State, Michigan being the end all be all, right? That that is changed to some degree with the nationalization of the sport and how you know the BCS and having an actual national championship game instead of instead of leaving it up to the polls. And you know, obviously that's a change from the era when Ohio State, Michigan was everything, and then the reward for winning the Ohio State, Michigan game was going to the Rose Bowl, and maybe that would give you a chance to be number one. But like, really, it's all about Ohio State, Michigan. Certainly that has been lessened, but the idea of a second game right on top of the first game and my gosh, could you meet each other in the playoff? That really is going to change 
It's it's because it can't be the end all be all if it's if it's just game one of two. Now I do, but then again, it's like the idea of okay, well, if you were playing Ohio State, Michigan back to back this year, if a team wins twice, that team's in and the other team's out. So that's pretty exciting that you could like kick the other team. Not only would you make the playoff, you'd kick the other team out of the playoff. And if they split, they both would have a. They both might make it. So. I mean, it's not like you would like eliminate the stakes of the game, and I don't think you would eliminate the intensity, you know. And I don't think that anybody would like take the first oh, game think- off because they they want you know they're going to prepare for the second game instead. They wouldn't hold anything back from game one for game two or whatever. But I do think it's one of those things. Just like when I before there was a Chicago style pizza place um, down the street from me, whenever I would go to Chicago, I would be so happy to eat Chicago-style pizza, and I would eat, like, three slices, and I would feel great. But the fourth slice that you ate wasn't the best slice. In the midst of that slice, you were like, this is too much. And I still really like it, but now it's too much. And so I'm not going to complain because I love this, but I actually would have been better off eating a little bit less. And I'm not sure that won't be how it's viewed for Ohio State, Michigan. That like, well, it's not that it's not great. You still love it, but actually, it might have been a little bit better if to have a little bit less. But they're shoving the fourth slice down your throat. You can't stop it. So, okay, you just got to get used to it. I I see what you're saying, and the fact that it's back to back is what makes it especially weird. But I mean, ask yourself. The the intensity of that game last year in Indianapolis, if that had, if this if 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 the same scenario had played out, if Ohio State had to play Michigan one week later again, but now it's indoors, now it's like a controlled environment, neutral site, less flu, whatever. Like the intensity that Ohio State would have brought into that game, the intensity that Michigan would have had to bring into that game to defend what it had just taken and not have Ohio State potentially take it back from them. Like, I think that would have been a pretty insane environment. And I think what's going to happen is, it, it in, in theory, it's going to be like the best divisional rivalries in football. It'll be like, I don't know, like what? Like Steelers and Ravens when they're both great and they're playing for the third time that season or whatever. Or, but, you know, I, I mean, I, I grew up experiencing some of this. Like when, when the Bears actually had good teams, once in a while you would get these great seasons where, like, the th- Bears and Packers. I can remember one year Jay Cutler played, uh, took the Bears to the NFC Championship game and lost to the Packers, of course. But, you know, third time that year that those teams have played. And an intensity builds all season. But it doesn't have to – it isn't back-to-back like this. And that is going to – it's going to – affect that dynamic for sure yeah but again i think it'll just be different it doesn't mean that it's bad but it is a little weird and it certainly is different but it there are things that will be very good to it and i think the point that you made off the top which i do think is important is like all right well it your choices are potentially your choices this year are an ohio state michigan rematch or the Ohio State-Michigan winner plays a three-loss team they're going to be favored by 28 against. Which do you pick? And I think in that scenario, because those are the only two choices. Now, like in 2019, Ohio State played Wisconsin in the regular season and then played Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship game. So they have played, right, an opponent twice. It's not like it's never happened before. We just covered the back-to-back. But I think in that scenario, Nathan, and that's the whole thing that everybody's bemoaned since they went to East and West, which is what they should have done, 
but that the West can't keep up and the best teams are in the East. And so we're going to solve that. And the idea of maybe back-to-back Ohio State, Michigan is just something you're going to have to deal with. But I do think right now, right? Who would you, what would you rather have, Nathan? Ohio State, Purdue, Ohio State, Iowa, or Ohio State, Michigan, two. Well, Ohio State, Iowa is third on that list by yeah. far. Um, I think I would rather have round two Ohio State, Michigan. Yeah, so would I. And that's no because, offense, but just uh, like Purdue the other is... teams just can't hang. No, no, Purdue isn't at that level. Purdue and and whoever I think whoever wins this nonsense in the West, it's gonna be it's gonna show up that they're not at that level. It happened last year. Like Iowa gets in the championship game against Michigan, and it just it was a debacle. And um, so here's what's like. So who do you think is gonna win the West? What's your prediction? Who do I think is gonna win? I guess I. Who does Purdue play this week? Do you know? Let me look. I have it on my I think sheet. they play Northwestern and Indiana. In All right, Northwestern and Indiana. So I so guess like I would say worst teams in the conference. I guess I think Purdue because I will. I, I guess I'll say I think Minnesota beats Iowa this week, but Purdue, Minnesota that needs Purdue to l- lose one of these two games, and Purdue, lucky for Purdue, is literally playing the two worst teams in the Big Ten the last two weeks of the year. So like, if they can't I, beat Northwestern I, Indiana, I don't know what they're doing. I would also pick Minnesota to beat Iowa, and I have no confidence that Purdue would beat both Northwestern Indiana. Like anything can happen in the West. Look like, like Illinois, like just lost to Michigan State and Purdue at home uh, when but, it had like, a to chance say, to control its own destiny. Like, but to say anything can happen in the West, Northwestern is like the one team that doesn't apply to because Northwestern beat Nebraska in the first game of the year and hasn't won a Big Ten game since, and Indiana is in the East and they stink on crackers like they're awful so right it, it just is very lucky for purdue it would be if 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 the door is open if minnesota beats iowa or nebraska beats iowa and opens that door and jeff brom doesn't walk through it by beating northwestern and indiana like purdue fans are getting they, they should be mad oh like that would be purdue should. blowing this i mean the, the door is is very open for that and and then the other thing is even if iowa goes up to minnesota and wins like I am far short of 100% certainty that Iowa would then beat Nebraska. Far short of it. Like that that is exactly the sort of nonsense that would happen in the West. So let me end with this. If it's Ohio State Iowa, do you think the coaches news conference on Friday will be a little bit weird for me? Uh probably, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> will think- you attend the coaches press conference on Friday? But I like, and I just, I would, I wonder, like, if it, like, I wonder what he, what Kirk would do or what anybody else would do. I think I will, I think if we get to that scenario, I would attempt to just, like, be normal and be at the news conference. And if I want to ask something of Ryan Day or Kirk Ferentz, I'll just ask something. I don't think I'd be like, hey, Kirk, I guess it was a good decision not to fire your boy or whatever. You know, like, I don't think I would lean into it, but I wonder, like, if he would or anybody else would. So, uh, right. well, well yeah, yeah, it's been funny. Like you're seeing a lot of, I'm seeing literal, like actual Iowa reporters saying like, oh, I just walked by so-and-so and he kind of smirked and was like, you guys left us for dead three weeks ago. And I'm just thinking like, yeah, they did. Cause you're dead. Like you're all, you're all just sort of rotting your way to Indianapolis. Like, what are we even talking about here? None of these teams are, this isn't like there's three two lost teams and they're all in the top 25 and like which one like what's happening in the Pac-12 right 
like that's not what we're talking about with the Big Ten West. These are teams that are like people shun their eyes from from watching Iowa play football, and they might be in Indianapolis vying vying for the conference championship. Yeah, and it's I mean again the point the point was not that like Iowa is uh, a ridiculously terrible team across the board. It was that their inept offense run by the coach's son was awful and unacceptable. And so Iowa did beat um, Wisconsin 60, uh, excuse me, 24 to 10 on Saturday. And in that game, Iowa scored 24 points while gaining 146 total yards which is pretty hard to wrap your head around and they average 2.1 yards per play they were 14 of 23 passing for 94 yards and they ran it 45 times for 52 yards they average 1.2 yards per carry but their defense is like lights out their defense is like borderline georgia of the north they uh, had a pick six, and I think they had another special teams play that set up a touchdown. So it's like they, the, the things that they do well, they do very well. It's just there's a side of the ball that, like, they are managing to overcome. But, again, you get them on a fast track indoors. You saw what Michigan did to them last year, and I'm assuming that if Iowa gets there, either Michigan or Ohio State would be a version of that to them again. So, um, yeah, well, good luck to the Ferences. When we come back, what you watching? What you eating? What you thinking? Next on Bucket Talk. Doug and Nathan, 614-350-3315 to be a tech subscriber. I'll start off with what you're watching because I, I want to talk about something that was not on a screen. And it was that I watched the full, well, I, as much as I could while I was working, the full uh, Ohio State game day experience through the eyes of someone who is not a football fan, but is a huge marching band fan. And that is my younger daughter who uh, attended the game on Saturday. She had gone to one game when she was much, much younger. She is in her high school marching band. I think I've talked about it. She absolutely loves it. And so she and my wife went to the Indiana game and we went to the full, I went with them. We went to the full skull session before the game, which I don't know that I had ever done. I'd been in the skull session, like when the football team comes in, but I don't think I'd ever like watched it sort of from beginning to end. And so that was an experience and she loved that. And then she was very interested, obviously in the pregame and script Ohio. And she was super interested in that. And then she was all fired up for the halftime show. And then, um, you know, just, she was not interested in the football. So I have an older daughter who's interested in the football and a younger daughter who's interested in the band. And it's just a reminder, Nathan, of what an experience it is for someone who loves marching band she got like three doses of it in the skull session the pregame and the halftime and came away like having a spectacular day loving it as someone who just does not enjoy football and so i know there are people out there maybe not listening to this podcast it's not a band podcast but it is a reminder that ohio state that game day opportunity is special because everybody has a band but nobody has a band like to and, um, you know, you're watching like a team that's trying to be the number one team in the country. You're watching the number one band in the country. And so I know that I the first game I ever covered at Ohio Stadium, I 
went down and like stood in the stands and watched the pregame show and like took it in. And I, I have paid attention to the halftime shows over the years. I, I very much appreciate what that band does for people, but it was enlightening for me um, to see it through my daughter's eyes. And she just had a spectacular day. So to be able to watch to do its thing is just a, it's just an absolute treat. And nobody listened to this is surprised by that, but it was, it was a great Saturday for her. And I, I certainly uh, enjoyed it uh, on her behalf. Um, you band um, guy, you like the band, you like the band. You um, I was, I was in band in high school and we didn't have, so, um, we didn't have marching band at my high school. We had pep band. So like you would sit, I remember definitely being up, up in an area at basketball games and playing. And I think we did a similar thing at football games. We didn't actually go on the field, but we were there to play for a period and then left, I think, or something. And then we, um, the, the the school has now since consolidated uh, with a, a nearby town, but for a time we were just, which was this is a popular thing in Illinois. You would have these co-ops that were just for sports. So like we, I was Jamaica High School and it was Catlin High School. So for a while it was just this Catlin Jamaica co-op, and then they changed the name to Salt Fork, which is the name of the high school now. But um, and they did have marching band, and so there was a lot of like absorbing each other's preferences on certain things. Because you would play like half your games at their at the other high school and half your home games at your own high school and stuff. It was kind of weird. And but one of the things we had to acquiesce to was we had to start doing marching band. So uh, we had this very like rudimentary marching band that we had to learn for like just my senior year of high school. Uh, what'd you play? It, uh, bass clarinet. Nice. Oh, my daughter plays whatever the normal clarinet is. Is it called normal clarinet? I, it's just clarinet. I started on clarinet, but then by the time I got to high school, it was bass clarinet. Yeah. Well, you grew into it. When you were just little, you were just a little regular clarinet, then you grew into a big bass clarinet. Yeah. The um, bass clarinet was kind of nice because it was black, and you got to hold it more like a saxophone as opposed to like yeah. the clarinet down in front of you. Nice. Uh, all right. What are you watching? Um, I was a huge fan of Unsolved Mysteries when I was a kid. I used to love coming home. We actually, uh, I think it was on Wednesday nights, and we would go to church on Wednesday nights, but that was like something that we would like tape every week uh, on the old VHS and then get home and just and watch it. We just had like one tape of Unsolved Mysteries that we would watch over and over. And Netflix, if people don't know, has brought back Unsolved Mysteries, not like the old episodes, which I think you actually can find a lot of those on YouTube, which are fun to watch sometimes. But it's like new episodes and each episode is like one thing as opposed to like the old unsolved mysteries. They would put like three things, cram three things into an hour. And this is like an hour, I think, or so focused on just one story. And it's a little bit more dramatic. I feel like the old unsolved mysteries had a very like early nineties kind of hammy feel to it. Sometimes like the reenactments they would do. This is a little bit more stylized and dramatic, but uh, I I'm digging it. Like we're in, I think there's like two or three seasons of it. Now we're in the newest season. We've been watching each season as it comes out and it's kind of nostalgic, but also if you like just sort of uh, the, un the unsolved mysteries concept, it's, it's fun to, to sort of ponder these uh, various mysteries that are still out there. So you had a, you had a cassette tape of unsolved mysteries that you would watch repeatedly no i'm saying that you would like you had a tape that was like kind of the unsolved mysteries tape and you were taping over it all the time like you oh, know what i mean okay. like you were yeah because there's only like a couple hours on an old vhs tape yeah 
back in the day when you were like, oh, my God, four hours on one tape, like all that memory. And <laughs> before we had any concept of like a 32 gigabyte megaphone or, or uh, iPhone, I mean, whatever. So, um, yeah, but I just I have like vivid memories of like different episodes when I was a kid. And now uh, it's been fun. Like it, it's a it's a for people who like this stuff, like it's it runs the gamut from like, oh, this is like a college kid just disappeared and there's never been any trace of them and they don't know. Or like uh, maybe there's aliens. It like it goes. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a it's a wide range of topics. Because I guess at some point, if you would watch Unsolved Mysteries repeatedly, the same ones, then they just become solved mysteries at some point. Right. It's like, well, I mean, what's the. Or is it is the whole point that like they're they're never solved? Is every unsolved mystery well, not solved, or is it just unsolved to you at the beginning and by the end it's a solved mystery? That's an that's an astute point you bring up, Doug. And I wanted to bring up one of the things about the new unsolved mysteries that isn't as satisfying, because the old unsolved mysteries was on for several years, and occasionally you would get done watching a segment of Unsolved Mysteries and then Robert Stack would break in and go, update! And they would take you back to one of a previous episode that they'd had and they would be showing you, oh, this guy got arrested for, like, stealing uh-huh. a bunch of money from old women and leaving, or uh, they found this, they they solved this murder or whatever. Like, they would they would have an update on a previous episode that they'd already done. This one, it's not as serial as that, I guess. It's more things stand alone a little bit more. I think they probably have a website where they give updates or whatever, but I, I don't get that same vibe of like, you could be watching and all of a sudden somebody would be like, Oh, remember that thing we showed you uh, uh, last season? Well, here's who did it like that. That, that, uh, that yeah, is yeah. not quite the same vibe. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. So what you eating? Uh, I just was reminded I, I went to my family and I went to a, a new Asian food restaurant the other night and it's just, you know, outside a strip mall near our house by the mall. It used to be a different restaurant and then that restaurant closed and now it's a new restaurant. And it was just like a very good, I usually get Kung Pao chicken. I got my Kung Pao chicken. It was high quality ingredients. The spice was good. A variety of vegetables. The peanuts were in there. Like it was just a very high quality meal. And I very much enjoyed it. And we were the only people in there. And it was, there were probably... 40 tables in the dining room and we were literally like at seven o'clock on a weeknight the only people there and the manager came over to our table like four times and the server was the most attentive server i could barely get through like half my glass of iced tea and she was refilling it and it was just like a very enjoyable meal and i just thought my gosh the restaurant industry is a grind like i don't know what like it's because it's not i mean it's just chinese food like it's not People know what that is, but it's like, well, we're not, we're not reinventing the wheel here. We'll just do a thing that people like and we'll do it well. And I thought it was a very well done meal. But I don't know how you differentiate yourself. I don't know how you get the word out. I don't know how you retain. Like, I just, and whenever we go somewhere like to a good restaurant and we see that, it's like, man, we better keep coming. Like, we want to do what we can to help keep this place in business. But, I don't know if there are people listening who have ever been in the restaurant business, who have ever worked at a restaurant or managed a restaurant or tried to open a restaurant. And I just don't know how you differentiate yourself because it's like, hey, you know that thing that you like? Well, we do it well. Great. But, man, I just was I, – I almost felt bad for the people in there because 
they were busting it, man. And I just don't know what else they can do. And I'm worried they're not going to be around that long. So um, I'm fascinated by the restaurant industry. You know, I mean, I had that franchise guy on, like how you go about it, how you have ideas, how you execute it, the supply chain issues, you know, setting your price points, trying to, again, differentiate yourself in a crowded market. But I just like good luck to everybody out there in that business because it just seems tough. It's the worst when you find a place that you really like and you get that vibe that like, man, there's just the, the word is not out about this place. And you, you, you kind of try to get the word out there to people. Yeah. But it's like there's this isn't going to work. I remember when um, this is not necessarily the best example, but I, I whenever I went back to Pittsburgh or would visit friends in Pittsburgh, I I enjoyed Permani Brothers, which is like the place there where you get the slaw and the fries on the sandwich, whatever. A little gimmicky place, but I, I always really liked it. And they got one in Indianapolis, and I was like really excited. Now, the quality wasn't quite the same. You didn't have all the same sources for all the things that they used, but it was a good approximation of it. And it was like right downtown. It was like in the Circle Center area, that mall area that people know from all the times they come to, to Big Ten stuff. But anytime we would go there, it was very sparsely attended, like very, there, it wasn't drawing a crowd. And we knew pretty early on, like, this probably just isn't going to work. And it's no longer open. So um, if, you, if you find those places, like you have to kind of sometimes help get the word out to your friends or whatever to um, – yours is maybe even a better example, though, because that's like a very like corporate thing. I mean, it has a – it couldn't have like a better placement. Like the, people should know about it just by driving down the street, walking down the street. But those smaller mom-and-pop places maybe are the ones where you have to do a little of the work yourself sometimes to ensure yeah. that it's going to be around. All right. What are you eating? Oh, man. Um, so, obviously, I've been under the weather here a bit, and I might go, like, years sometimes without eating chicken noodle soup, but it's, like, such a cliche to, like, oh, I've, I've got a cold. I better get some chicken noodle soup, and I've had it, like, twice in the last three days. I got it tonight. Um, just, like, grabbed a can at Walgreens while I was picking something else up and a uh, little homestyle chicken noodle soup, and, like, it really hits the spot. I don't know what it is about it. Um, I'm sure there's some scientific reasoning behind it, but um, so I, it makes me think like, should I be eating it more or is it kind of like what you were talking about before with Ohio state, Michigan, like you just save it for that, that one hit when you really need it and it'll have a better impact. Yeah. I bet there's a psychological component to that as well, that because it's a thing you so often eat when you're sick and it does make you like, you have memories of it making you feel better. So it like, it makes you feel yeah. better. But what it actually, I'm not so sure if you ate chicken noodle soup like three times in a week when you were healthy, I'm not sure it wouldn't make you feel sick. Because it's like, oh, wait, am I supposed to be sick when I eat this? Like, oh, no, maybe I should get a cold. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, all right. What are you thinking about? I, I don't have a good one prepared for this. I, I today, One thing I was thinking about was, uh, so being sick this weekend, my actually my wife and child were out of town. And... I was thinking one of the many times I've thought this over the last since May 1st, like people out there who are single parents, I don't know how they do it. Like the idea that like I could have been like this sick, but then also had to take care of like a tiny baby or a two year old or whatever uh, is I, I can't really even fathom it. And I've gained so much respect 
for people who have done that and uh, successfully raised, um, you know, good citizens or whatever. It just seems like such a a tough call, man. And uh, kudos to all those men and women who have done that. Yeah, no, you just never get a second off. And you always you always have to be at your best no matter what. It already so. feels like that sometimes. And I'm I don't have that situation. we have there's two of us, so Yeah. And I do think that is one of those situations where like your community, that's why communities matter. That's why sure. you know, your your relationships with um, you know, whether it's your in your faith or your religious organization or like a boys and girls club or whatever, like that's why community matters because like none of us can do it by ourselves. But whether you're a single parent or two parents or you don't have a kid, but you need help sometimes, like, I think it's a reminder of all that of like, uh, everybody needs a little help sometimes. But uh, yes, remarkable, the single parents out there, uh, remarkable what, what they do. So mine isn't nice. So a crypto thing got caught on fire and some guy lost like $13.5 billion. And I think I'm glad but I don't want normal I, – I don't want, like, reg, everyday people who maybe invested in crypto because it seemed like a thing, a smart thing to do, to lose a lot of their money in that. But as we have talked about when I was talking about the crypto ATM or whatever, and just, like, as people – as everybody has pointed out, it felt like every Super Bowl commercial was a crypto ad. And the crypto thing that went under, like Larry David did an ad for. I think Tom Brady did an ad for. Steph Curry was involved with it. This was like people were doing ads for this thing that just completely went up in smoke. And as someone who never really understood crypto but thought it sounded too good to be true, the fact that the guy who had the thing, and I guess at least maybe, I don't know if all the people lost their money, but that guy went from being worth $13.5 billion to zero overnight. And as it turns out, the word came out today that Michael Lewis, the author, has been embedded with that guy for the last six months to write a oh, book. And now right. it's like the end of the book is, and then everything vanished, the end. And it's like, well, okay, Sandra Bullock's going to win another Oscar being that guy's mom or something. So I don't know if this is what old people feel every time young people try something and it doesn't work, but my inclination to ha 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 the crypto collapse is very, very strong. Yeah. But and like for like the whatever, I don't know if it's whoever the people are, whoever the high up crypto people are, you know, can get bent. Right. They can cram it. I don't give two hoots about the high up crypto people, but I certainly do not want other people to lose lots of money in an investment. So to have been hornswoggled in some way and like I never did crypto because I don't even know what it is or how it works or whether you want to buy one crypto or a gazillion crypto. But like when all those Super Bowl commercials were on, I was like, is this actually real? What are people doing? So I'm trying to contain my haha. And if you're, I don't want, don't punch your, your, your car or your phone because you lost money in crypto. I feel bad for you. I hope you're okay. And I hope, but man, sometimes stuff's just like too good to be true, man. And I guess there's some crypto stuff that's still working, but I would be cautious. 
it's volatile. It's it's definitely volatile, and I I think that is starting to happen more though from just things I've heard that people are, you know, it's one thing if you're young and you have a little bit of your disposable income or even your investment income that you want to get risky with. What I think is unfortunate is when it's older people near retirement who are getting talked into taking a shot at this and it's not going well. It's it's just a very, very, very volatile market. I don't know if it will it, – we're not financial experts, so I'll probably just end it there. But I, I, I agree with you. And I think that's true of like all these – these financial outcomes it's it, it can be very easy to be like oh like the bank you know sticking it to the banks or whatever but it's it's not just the people running the banks that get left holding the bag a lot of times it's a lot of innocent people farther down the line who also whether it was the the mortgage crisis whether it was the other things like that like the little people are getting the shaft in a lot yeah. of these situations and listen wall street collapsed too right i mean it's not like crypto is the first thing to like steal people's investment money so we understand that so um whatever but like there was some time there was some there was at times i felt this as an older person like with some of the crypto stuff it was like oh yeah you're not invested in crypto well you're an idiot yeah like i'm just okay okay boomer what are you gonna do Ooh, put your money in a savings account boomer and so that's the part of me that is like oh your 13.5 billion dollars vanished like weird thirty-year-old guy with weird hair. Sorry, bro. Like you personally, that guy. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. Like that guy, that particular guy can cram it until he can't cram it no more. I've, I've had some arguments on Facebook with some uh, some tangentially uh, friend people uh, who who have been big advocates for this stuff because I mean a lot of the stuff that they propose as being benefits of this system seem like giant pitfalls like including like the lack of regulation like they were you know you you know you don't want you you can you can you know this is a way to invest without all this government interference i'm like well so it's just the wild west like how is that how's that better for me helping assure that i'm not eating cat food someday and my kid can go to college like that's really all this is about yeah so anyway i'm not to be vindictive Except I am. So I hope everybody is okay. But that was an interesting story. And I almost feel like Tom Brady and Steph Curry and Larry David and all the people who are like, yeah, wait, you want to use my fame and goodwill to help me? So I'll do a commercial for your thing that I don't really know what it is, but you can give me like an investment in it and all kinds of money. And I'll just do a like Larry David, whole Larry David commercial was like, he was the curmudgeon who didn't believe in crypto, and then he was an idiot for that. So he sold his whole persona to a thing that evaporated. So, like, let's guess what, Larry David? Like, I think you're funny, but, like, I think you should be on the hook a little bit for this, too. Like, you gave your name to a thing that collapsed. Like, why should I trust anything you say ever again? Yeah, but I I mean, one of my uh, financial uh, bedrocks actually at this point is like the more celebrities you have to hire to sell me insurance or whatever, the less I feel like I'm probably getting my money's worth from your company. I'm paying for I'm paying for the Peyton Manning what's his name sing song things on the bus if I get nationwide insurance. Like that's what I'm paying for as much as I'm Space paying for insurance. 
Yeah, well, listening. Based in Columbus. You don't think I'll start, I start I, swiping the local insurance companies because a crypto dude imploded. I just um, I just hope that all of our listeners are able to get down to their gas station Bitcoin ATMs and withdraw their their actual money in time. Here's your crypto. What is it? Is it is it a is it like a like a silver dollar? What is a crypto? Okay. Anyway, that's it. That's what I'm thinking. I can't help it. It's what I think. So uh, we appreciate, I'm sure people are going to get mad about that. Uh, I'm sorry. To the, if the guy who lost $13.5 billion is listening, and I told you to cram it, if you happen to be an Ohio State fan, uh, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you lost $13.5 billion. But maybe you should be sorry for like the, the times when you were like making fun of people like me because we weren't buying a crypto at the gas station. Okay. He's Nathan Baird. When are you going to be healthy? That's a great question, but hopefully uh, by the time I have to get on a plane and go to Maryland on Friday. Okay. Definitely by Michigan. Sooner than, hopefully sooner, sooner than that. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. I got some I got some new some juicy new meds uh to pick up in the morning that I think will help. Nice. Uh so he's getting back to health. We'll be covering Ohio State, Maryland this week. What's that line? Twenty eight and a half. Twenty seven and a half when it came out. Okay. So uh, you know, what are you gonna do? Big Ten West still at stake, Illinois, Michigan. This week, readcleveland.com slash OSU. Try the text at 614-350-3315. Now I feel bad. Now I feel bad for the crypto. Sorry, crypto. I didn't mean to be mean crypto. I was just, I was lashing out. But uh, my money's in a bank, by the way. Didn't, didn't evaporate. It's in a bank. Uh, all right. He's Nathan Baird. I'm Doug Maurice. And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.